0: This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world.
1: Let's make sure you are receiving episodes as soon as they are live. You do that by clicking subscribe. I'm going to give you a second, and you go subscribe. Now that you have become a part of the Word in Season team, would you take a moment to rate and write a review of this podcast? This shows the platform you are listening through that you want more of this kind of good news and will help to promote A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends to a broader audience. Thanks so much for subscribing, reviewing, rating, and listening. Now enjoy today's episode and share it with a friend.
0: Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about keeping your vision of destination or holding on to your dreams. I had a devotion time recently, pulled out an old book by Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole called The Power of Potential. I remember the original title was called The Potential Principle the Life of Joseph, and I remember because in the early 1980s, I had the pleasure of serving Dr. Cole and traveling a bit with him and being a part of the Christian Men's Network. I'd like to share a few of the principles that he shared out of his book and give you some quotations from it, because I really believe that each and every one of us have been given dreams and visions of the Lord for our destination or God's destiny in our lives. Oftentimes, though, things happen in our lives that can either cause us to become better or bitter, as my friend Christopher Alam would say. Well, let me share a few quotes from the book, The Power of Potential, by Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole to set the tone for the rest of the message. He says, the more we base our life upon principles and less upon personalities, the straighter our course will be. He goes on to say, God gave Joseph a dream. It was a god-breathed, god-ordained, god-given dream. The dream held the potential for a successful life, blessing and prosperity for others and salvation for Joseph's family and his nation. The god-given dream created an image in Joseph's mind That would ultimately become a reality. It was real in Joseph's spirit before it became real in his flesh. Scripture teaches that God is the author and finisher of our faith. God will finish what He authors, but He is not obligated to finish what He has not authored, Dr. Cole says. God implants His desires in our hearts, and He will see to it that they are completed as we submit to His Lordship and work in cooperation with the Spirit within us. That is how His kingdom is able to come to earth through us. He goes on to say a dream when shattered can be devastating for the individual. He goes on to say the disappointment of a shattered dream can degenerate into discouragement, then to disillusionment, and often leads to alcoholism, drug addiction, or suicide, and even ends in murder. Let me stop and pause for there for a moment because I would call this compensatory facade when we become discouraged, what I've said in previous books of mine and articles, discouragement is like a powerful drug. We create a compensatory facade. When we go through discouragement, we lose sight of our destination. We become disillusioned. We become disappointed with God and even with other people. If we lose sight of where we're going, we'll never accomplish the destination or destiny God has for us. So discouragement is that powerful drug. And we create a compensatory facade we end up compensating on the outside for the insecurities or lack on the inside. And so we'll cover up with alcoholism or drug addiction, promiscuity, or other things. Those are always outward expressions of an inward brokenness. Let me go back on to what Dr. Cole says in his book, The Power of Potential, The Life of Joseph. He says, Without a dream for their generation, young people have nothing to which to put their faith and nothing on which to base their hope. Like Joseph, who received a God-given dream, in his youth, today's young people need to seek God for their dreams. And then Dr. Cole says, every leader knows there is a price to pay for that leadership, whether in a secular or sacred place of leadership. Joseph's price was spending 13 years in intense confrontation with temptation and accusation. This was his testing time and God's proving time. Then Dr. Cole says, all testing is based on resistance. It's a kingdom principle. Scripture says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This means your ability to resist the devil is proportionate to your submission to the Lord. I can look back at my own life and see areas where God was proving me as I was going through testing times. It's not always easy, but it is the crucibles of experience become a life lesson that if we learn from them, become part of our life message. There are so many things that we can take away and learn in our lives, and rather than becoming bitter, we should become better. And I'm going to share some of that, and even a story about Christopher Alaman when he was in prison for one year in a Pakistani prison because he'd become a Christian.
1: We live in a world of crisis, but this presents us with an opportunity we must not waste. We are called to be the light of the world, filled with the Spirit of God, a city on a hill. Light always shines brightest amidst the darkest hours. As we draw closer to God and reconnect with our families, let's remember to care for the most vulnerable. Somebody Cares chapters and partners continue to bless our communities with much needed supplies, including N95 masks to our medical professionals, food and essentials for our senior citizens and families encouragement, and friendship for those who feel alone. You can be a blessing too. Give today at somebodycares.org.
0: But let me go on to read a couple more quotes from Dr. Cole. He says, One of the problems of today's society is that we have many journeymen but few craftsmen. Even in the ministry, some men can handle sermons Some can handle churches, and some can handle God's Word, but they can't handle themselves. Moses failed one time to handle himself, and as a result, missed Canaan land. Adam, David, and Samson learned the principle, He that ruleth his spirit is better than he that taketh a city. See, while Joseph identified with God, his brothers identified with their own personal desires, ambitions, pleasures, and sin. That was the dichotomy between them and Joseph, Dr. Cole says. It was a chasm, a gulf. They could never understand their brother Joseph. They had an entirely different perspective of life. When Joseph told his brothers his dream, their jealousy of him turned to hatred. You see, jealousy is more dangerous and cruel than anger. Jealousy is vicious, and flattery disguised is hostility. Beware of each, Dr. Cole says. Then he says... Their portrait of Joseph was colored by their own selfish, lustful, petty spirits. To the pure, all things are pure. To the impure, nothing is pure. Those words accurately describe them. Joseph faced jealousy, anger, hatred, envy, and slander. He was betrayed, ignored, rejected, and humiliated. He suffered cruelty, injustice, and evil craftiness. He was the victim of conspiracy, sold down the river by his brothers, imprisoned through false accusation, and defrauded by those he befriended. He had to contend against the malice and lust arrayed against him. But Joseph persevered. Perseverance will always outlast persecution. He goes on to say that some men happen to influence while others determined to. This is the difference between followers and leaders. Mediocre men settle for good, which is often the enemy of best. With Joseph, it all started with the dream. His God-given dream became a reality because of three things in his life. These are the same three things that all of us need. Favor, wisdom, and courage. Let me say that again. Dr. Cole says we need all these three things. Favor, wisdom, and courage. God's favor is always bestowed as a gift and can never be earned. That's why it's called grace, which means unmerited favor. Rereading this book by Dr. Cole, where I just gave you some of the quotes from the book, brought back a plethora of memories of my time working with Dr. Cole, and I still have the pleasure of being a part of the Christian Men's Network around the world and involved in the board of the Global Fatherhood Initiative that's part of the Christian Men's Network. But something he said here, I see about the importance of favor, courage, and wisdom. And I realize that for that to happen, we have to keep a perspective beyond our circumstances, including the fact that we need to be persevering in our leadership. I wrote in one of my articles last year about the importance of leading in difficult times. I said, perseverance is defined as persistence and steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. To persevere in leadership, we need persistence, staying power, purposefulness, patience, diligence, and commitment. And one of the mottos of my personal life, as you know, has been my desire to win or succeed must be greater than my moments of challenge. We all go through difficulties. We all go through challenges. But do we stay in that place of growing in character, keeping perspective of our destination, rather than letting circumstances dictate to us who we are? The other day, I was reading a, a blog that uh, my friend Christopher Alam put out, and I want to just read a portion of that, too, because I think it's, it's pertinent to what we're talking about today. Christopher Alam had become a Christian. He, his father was a military general in the nation of Pakistan, and when he became a Christian, he was in prison for one year. And Let me just read some of the things he wrote about in that year of being imprisoned. It says, I'm thinking about the isolation that many are living in these days and unable to go to church, etc., he said, I spent almost the entire year of 1976 in prison. It was unfair because all that I had done was to preach the gospel and bring Jesus Christ to people. And for that, I had to endure pure prison and torture. But then it was a Muslim country. I, as a prisoner, was not allowed to carry a watch or a calendar. So as the days, weeks, and months passed, I never knew what date or time of day it was. There were no newspapers. TV, or radio either. I had no Christians around me, no services to go to, nobody to encourage me. Talk about isolation. And then he goes on to say, "...what I did have was a small Bible that I had smuggled in, and I had to keep it hidden, lest the prison staff would see it and confiscate it from me. I would only take it out and read it when nobody else was around. I also spent time in prayer and encouraged myself in the Lord." I used to read my Bible, talk to Jesus, share my faith with my fellow prisoners. They were mostly murderers, political prisoners, and common criminals. My biggest victory that year was to be able to lead to Christ a very complex and hardened young man, a condemned murderer who was later hanged for his crime. I look back at those days of loneliness and isolation, of terrible and meager food, sleeping in a filthy cell, no showers, and a filthy outdoor latrine. Yet, God did some great things in my life because I threw myself upon His grace. I came out of prison a better man and a stronger Christian than I was when I went in. So going back to the present-day lockdown or isolation or quarantines, your attitude will determine whether you will come out of this as a bitter or as a better person. He goes on to say, I am concerned at the tones of anger and bitterness which many people have. This lockdown has unfortunately made them bitter and not better. And he says, do not allow that to happen to you. Look, you're not in prison. Nobody is torturing you. You can still serve the Lord, and you are still free as a citizen of a free country. Let me go back to something he said here in this blog the other day. Your attitude will determine whether you will come out of this as a bitter or as a better person. What a great statement. In fact, if there was a subtitle to this blog, it would be, hold on to your dreams, stay focused, stay focused become better, not bitter. When I look back at even the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they saw all the miracles of God, the protection from the plagues, the opening of the Red Sea, the closing of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. I mean, time and time and time again, God was revealing himself in very real ways, in tangible ways to the children of Israel. But we can look back and see those same examples in our lives today how many times did God show himself real to us over and over and over? And then when we go through these processes or these circumstances in our lives, we quickly turn back to looking where we were rather than where we're going. Immediately after Israel crossed the Red Sea, God miraculously showed up for them and closed the Red Sea behind them. The first thing they do was, was great. Israel begins to praise God. In fact, we call this the, the prayer of Moses or the praises of Israel to God. And it goes into the whole doxology of, of, I sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider, He has been thrown into the sea. And they go on and on. It's this beautiful uh, song and beautiful lyrics and a beautiful praise by the children of Israel, what we call the Song of Moses. And then right after all this praising of God, which is the right thing to do, to praise God in the midst of His liberty, in the midst of His deliverance, in the midst of His, his leading us in this greater place that He's taking us to, because God never delivers us from something without a plan to deliver us to something better. So God always had a plan for something outside of Egypt, through the wilderness, into a place called the Promised Land. In fact, when we look about the wilderness journey, there was at least six wilderness travels in Exodus, and I just want to talk about a couple of them. Right after they come out of the Red Sea, they're praising God, they're in an excited place, they're on their journey going towards the Promised Land, and immediately they go into a place, the first wilderness is called the Wilderness of Shur. It says in verse twenty-two of chapter fifteen that Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea when they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Mora, they they could not drink the water of Mora or the waters of Mora, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mora or bitter. The people murmured against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast in the, he cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. God allowed a test of the people. Now let's stop for a moment. The first thing they do, coming through out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, seeing the hand of God, the pillar of fire by night, the the cloud by day, all the miraculous manifestations and the tangible expressions of God showing them He was real to them. They do the right thing. They praise the Lord. They begin to pray and praise. And then the first hiccup, the first moment in the wilderness of Shur that it doesn't go the way they wanted. And they find that they're thirsty, and the waters are bitter, and so they're already murmuring. And out of that murmuring, God speaks to Moses and has him throw a tree into the waters that are bitter, that become now sweet." So then you think they would learn their lesson, and we the same. How many times does it take for us to go through different wilderness circumstances in our lives for us to finally comprehend that God is with us, He's for us, He's not against us, and He has a plan beyond the circumstances? But like Christopher Alam says, do we become bitter, like the waters of Mora? Or do we become better? Do we allow circumstances to develop and build character in us regardless of what we've been going through because God has something bigger and better beyond our circumstances for us? So right after the wilderness of Shur, the first wilderness of the six wilderness travels in the Exodus journey... After that, they went into a place called Elam, or it was a place that was an oasis. And of course, you've seen stories where there's your people are in a desert and they, they have a, a mirage where they begin to see uh, palm trees and they begin to see water. And what that is, is that people in the wilderness or in the desert are longing for a place of water, sustenance, shade, food, and a palm tree "...in the desert depicts or represents a place of covering from the heat, shade from the heat." Uh, the roots of a palm tree go deep, searching for water and moisture, and usually you'll find springs of water. And then you have the date nuts, and you have other uh, edible nodules or edible fruit on the on the palm tree. So it's a place of sustenance and a place of shade and refreshing in the midst of your desert journey. So after they leave the the wilderness of Shur, God's already showed Himself another showed a miracle to the people again, providing sweetness instead of bitterness in the water. And it says, God says in verse 26 of chapter 15, And God said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians or back in Egypt. For I am the Lord who heals you. Let's remember, God sweetens bitterness. God heals us. And we know that from the work of the cross, power of the resurrection, as those who believe in the Lord, that He's not only our Savior and healer and deliverer, He's our liberator. He's the one that brings all these things in our lives through the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And then it says in verse 27 of chapter 15 of Exodus, then He takes them from the, the wilderness of Shur and He says, Then they came to Elam, the oasis of Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So here they are in this this been through all this anxiety, all this stress, they've been in quarantine in Egypt. They they overcome the plagues, they cross the Red Sea, they're running for their life. God protects them and saves them and delivers them from their enemy. And they come in, they begin to praise God, the the prayer of Moses and and the praise of Israel to God. Then the first time they go into the wilderness of Shur and they find these waters and the waters are bitter, the first thing they do, rather than seeking the Lord, they begin to murmur against Moses and begin to gripe and complain. And God still in His grace provides for them and makes the bitter waters sweet and then they move from that place to this incredible oasis in their wilderness journey in the desert that that oasis of Elam, where they have 12 wells of water, all the water they could ask for, and 70 palm trees, so they camp there by the waters. What an amazing example, again, of God's constant provision in the midst of our journeys, that circumstances around us that try to keep us from our destination, but along the way, God is allowing us to learn to grow better and not bitter, and He's providing for us, He's protecting us, He's guiding us, He's building character in us, so we're being uh, proven by God and approved by God, even though we go through the testings of life's circumstances. So now they're in, the, they're in an oasis. You can imagine they want to stay there, but see, God had a greater plan that this is just a temporary stopping place for their journey to go to ultimately the land of milk and honey, the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And so what should have taken only a couple of weeks or so, it took them 40 years, and they had to go through six wilderness travels. They had to go through all these different circumstances and lessons and life lessons throughout that 40 years before they could enter into the promised land. As I've shared before, Winky Pratt used to say, God takes us out of our Egypt, takes us through the wilderness for a season to get Egypt out of us so that we can then handle possessing the land of promise. I used to tell street kids that I took off the streets back in the 80s and 90s. I can take you off the streets and get a home for you, a place to live, but until you deal with the issues of the heart... You'll always be a street kid because until you can take a street kid off the streets, but until you get the streets out of the kid, they're still a street kid. You can take a drug addict out of the environment of drugs, but until you get the desire for drugs out, they're still a drug addict or an alcoholic. And you can take people out of an environment, but until the environment's out of them, they're still there. So the whole wilderness journey is an opportunity for God to build character, to get for us to become better, not bitter, and not keep looking back to Egypt, not keep looking back to the past, not looking back to what we think is better, but begin to trust God that He's got something better for us through what we're going through into the land of destiny or destination He has for us. So after they leave the Oasis of Elam, they go to a place in chapter 16 of Exodus called the... Um, the, they left Elam, and it says they went into the place called the wilderness of sin. Now, uh, I'd like to say it means it's a place where they sinned, but obviously there was sin there, but specifically it was a geographical place called the wilderness of sin, and it was on, there, it was on the way to Mount Sinai or the place of Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments. It says in verse 1 of chapter 16 of Exodus, And they journeyed from Elam, the oasis they were just in, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day uh, from the time they left the land of Egypt. Now, all this within the first fifteen days. The Red Sea crossing, uh, the closing of the path to them, going into praising God, then wilderness of sure, murmuring against God. God turns the bitter waters into sweet waters, takes them into the place of the oasis of Elam with all these great wells of water and 70 palm trees and shade and in the midst of their desert. And then they move into the place called the wilderness of sin. And it says that in the verse two, that the whole congregation Of the children of Israel murmured again against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now they're in the second wilderness called the wilderness of sin. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So here they're already beginning to murmur and complain again. This is their second time that they're actually griping and complaining after all the miracles, the deliverance, and and God's leading them to a land of milk and honey, a land of promise, a land of destiny, and they're already complaining. It's not even 15, it's 15 days, and they're already griping and complaining again. And now they're not just complaining they're beginning to say, even as we were enslaved in Egypt, at least we sat by pots filled with meat, that we could eat bread till we're full. They began to think about all the things they thought they had, but while they were in it, they were enslaved and wanting out of it. It's amazing how when we, we want out of our sin, we want out of our, our worldly, fleshly circumstances, but how easy it is for us to forget when God's leading us to the next place in our life, that we begin to look back rather than looking forward to God's greater purposes in our lives. I think about that in Lot's wife when God said when you leave don't look back and yet she te- she looked back. Something about us tends to look backwards and when she did she turned into a pillar of stone. How many of us constantly are looking backwards rather than looking forward to what God has already promised us? And so they went from that place to murmur and complain and gripe again. And there is more wilderness journeys throughout that 40 years. There is other opportunities of, of being tested and tried. And like what Leonard Ravenhill said in his book, tried and transfigured. There's a place in our lives where we are tried so that we can be transfigured in the presence of the living God. And I just see that how so many of us in our journeys, we allow murmuring and complaining and attitude to begin to limit us from where we're going and actually postpones that God's intended purposes for entering into a place of destiny or a place of promise within with Him. You see, if we forget the purposes of God, the direction of God, the destinations of God, the promises of God, it's easy then to have a bad attitude. And even to quote Christopher Olam again, and, and let me say about this about Christopher Olam, when he said, your attitude will determine whether you will come out of this as a bitter or as a better person. And that is so true. Are we going to allow circumstances to cause us to be bitter or better? Let me tell you a little bit about Christopher. You know that he was imprisoned because he became a Christian in Pakistan. Today, he literally reaches Hundreds of thousands and millions of people in crusades all over the world in salvations and healings and liberations and deliverances. It's an amazing thing that God has done through a person who allowed the character of Christ to be worked in Him, and He became better and not bitter. He's led so many people to the Lord all over the world, including throughout the Middle East, throughout Africa, throughout all over the world. God's incredibly using this man who became better and not bitter. And then Dr. Cole said in his book, The Power of Potential, or The Life of Joseph, what a great example to us that God gives dreams, but if we let the circumstances of life rob us of those dreams, help make us to forget our destination or our purpose in life, our vision in life, then we'll become bitter and not better. And yet here Joseph had every reason to become bitter against his own brothers, against his family, against other people about false accusations that people made against him. And yet instead he chose to turn everything to the Lord, and God vindicated him, just like he did with Christopher Alam. God vindicated them and turned everything around. They became better, full of the character of the kingdom, and now God was able to use them in Joseph's life, was able to deliver not only his own people, his own family, provide for them in his own nation of people, but all the known nations of the world. During an incredible famine, God used Joseph to become like a prime minister under Pharaoh for all the people who he was entrusted by Pharaoh to bring forth healing and provision for all the nations, including his own family. If he had become bitter, he would have been inhibited from being able to do all that God intended to do. What the devil meant for harm, God turned for good. What his brothers meant for harm or for evil, God turned for good. In fact, Joseph said that to his brothers. What you meant for, for wrong, God has turned it around for the good. See, we can become better, not bitter. It's about attitude, isn't it? I remember writing in my book, Leadership Awakening, and quoting Albert Einstein. He said, Weakness of attitude will always become a weakness of character. That's so true. We need to be a people who have a right attitude, know how to speak the life of God, to speak the Word of God, to keep perspectives of God. So let me say again hold on to your dreams, keep your vision of destination, become better, not bitter. Let me tell you another story about one who became another spiritual father in my life in Houston. That's Bishop Roy Cossey Jr. He had nine children and he wanted 10. And his wife said, no more. At nine, that was it. And so the big joke is now I'm kind of the adopted 10th child to Bishop Cossie's family. I had the pleasure of officiating one of his daughter's weddings. I had the pleasure of uh, also helping to set her in and ordain she and her husband as the new pastors of Latter-day Deliverance Revival Church after Bishop Cossie went through the gates of splendor to be with the Lord. Uh, had the pleasure of interfacing with so many of the children. And in fact, there was many years ago, during the days of the Jim Crow laws, that the, there were two primary movie theaters that people of color, primarily African Americans, had to go if they wanted to go to a movie. And one of them was Lions Avenue Movie Theater. And during that time in the 60s, they were closing down, and it was a dilapidated building that used to be called Lions Avenue Movie Theater in the 5th Ward at that time called the Bloody 5th Ward in the Houston area. And so God spoke to Bishop Roy Cossey as a young minister to go down there, buy that old movie theater that was a, a semblance of, of racism and segregation, and turn it into a church to say, one day, this building that was a place of segregation in the midst of all the racism and prejudices of the day, he said, one day, in this predominantly African-American community, one day... This will be filled with people from all denominations and races and backgrounds and worshiping God together. He held to that dream, he had a dream. He bought that dilapidated building, turned it into a wonderful church, and over the years that whole community has been transformed. Other churches have moved in, other churches have stayed put, and you've seen the presence of God's kingdom through God's people transform of a community that once was called the Bloody Fifth Ward, once a place of segregation, is now a place that has become higher in value, real estate value, a place that people want to live again, and he stayed in that place when he could have gone to the suburbs, God called him to stay there and in the lions avenue movie theater turned it into latter-day revival church and he stayed faithfully there and he raised all of his children to be reconcilers not to let the bitterness or the wounds or the sins of other people keep them from being all god wanted them to be as an african-american leader he had a network of pastors that looked to him he was a father in the city and he began to influence people all over the region and all over the nation Because he was a man faithful to a dream, and he never let anyone take that dream from him. He was a great influence in my life, one I highly regard and respect. I've written about him before, written articles about him, wrote him about in previous books. But one day, unbeknownst to me, that this dream that he had back in the 60s, that one day his congregation, his church, would be filled with a multi-ethnic gathering of worship. And unbeknownst to me, separate from him... His daughter, Dr. Karen Kossi Chernachev, she is a professor at Texas Southern University and a professor at Rice University. She had a vision that one day there would be a multi-ethnic gathering of people coming down Lions Avenue. She, in her own words, saying in a predominantly African American community, and she, in this dream, she saw a multi-ethnic gathering of people coming down Lions Avenue into Latter Day Deliverance Revival Church once, which was called Lions Avenue Movie Theater. So she held on to that. She pondered that in her heart. Her dad had a dream in the 60s when he bought the building and transformed that community and bought up properties and began to turn them around and see a transformation of the community. He pondered it. And one day we were all together and it was in that meeting in 1999. We had pastors and leaders from every denomination, ethnic background. We happened to gather at Latter-day Deliverance Revival Church, and in that evening, Dr. Karen Kossi-Chernachev and Bishop Roy Kossi remembered their dreams and the visions God gave them and realized this was the beginning of a great journey and the great breakthrough they'd always been believing for. But see, like Joseph, Bishop Roy Kossi Jr. never lost his dream "...circumstances, Jim Crow laws, racism, all these things were taking place, the bloody fifth ward, crime, yet he knew what God called him to do, and he kept his vision of the promise and the vision of the destination, and as a result, he saw his dreams fulfilled. He went to be at the Lord a couple years ago, but with his own eyes, he began to see all the dreams, the visions God had given back in the 50s and 60s become a reality." Don't lose your vision of destination. Hold on to your dreams. Remember, you're a part of the kingdom of faith, not the kingdom of fear. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not yet seen. We are people of faith. Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole used to say this, that the kingdom of darkness promotes fear, but the kingdom of God is light and promotes faith. It's It's a kingdom of faith. And he said that faith is, a, is believing those things you cannot see will come to pass. But the kingdom of darkness and fear is believing those things you cannot see will come to pass. It sounds like they're saying the same thing, but they're two opposing kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God and light. The other is the kingdom of darkness and the devil. So faith and fear is believing those things you cannot see will come to pass. But we're not a people of fear. We're a people of faith. Hold on to your dreams. Hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to your destination. Don't let the circumstances or the wilderness journeys in your life... Cause you to murmur and have a negative attitude, but keep your vision of destination. Be a person who praises God through the circumstance. Be a person who continues to speak the word, live the word, ponder the word, hold on to the word. Let the word wash your mind because God has a purpose far beyond the current circumstances we might be going through. Let's hold on to our dreams. Let's keep our vision of God's promises and destination. Let's not let the wilderness circumstances or different wilderness moments in our lives dictate to us who we are. Let's ponder in our hearts God's promises. Remember, He's delivered us from Egypt to get Egypt out of our hearts in the desert so we can handle possessing the land of God's destiny or God's promise in the promised land. I'm going to be talking in the weeks ahead about a time to cross the Jordan River. What does it take for us to get ready to possess the land of promise? God is giving us breakthroughs no matter what we're going through, and we have a purpose greater than our circumstances because God is still bigger than our circumstances. If this podcast or my other podcasts have been a blessing to you, let us hear from you. Let us know. And also, would you go to my dougstringer.com and download some of my previous articles that I feel like are pertinent to where we're going through today? But also you can go to our somebodycares.org, find out some of the tangible things that we're able to do in our network of ministries around the world, being a tangible expression of Christ in communities all over our nation and around the world. You are and I am truly part of something bigger than ourselves, and God's purposes are greater than our circumstances. And I believe that God is going to use you and use His church in greater ways than we've ever seen. Father, I thank you right now for the privilege and the honor of your calling. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us dreams and visions beyond our circumstances. God, keep us in a place of humble posture to walk in humility and the fear of the Lord, but also filled with the passion of God, the purposes of God, to look past our wilderness journeys, to look past any global or local or personal crises that we may ever go through. May we look beyond those things and see that you're still the God that is bigger than all those things, and you're the God that keeps your promise because your word is true. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.